A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event campus around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rul Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rukens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversations. All right, welcome Mo Husseini. Pleasure to be here, right? So um, uh, Mo and I met, well, we've only met online so far, Mo. Uh, and the reason we met is because, well, maybe you can, you can fill in the blank. How, how did we actually meet? Um, we are both included in a uh, compilation book by David Adler um, that uh, includes conversations with both of us. And you were um, you were proactive and reached out to me. And I uh, got on a Zoom call with you and realized, holy crap, this is a really interesting dude. I need to talk to him more. <laughs> so that's how we met. And it feels like uh, David Adler has done a, a pretty wicked job of collecting uh, conversations like that. I think 65 different people are included in the book. And uh, I'm really excited. Of- yeah, I'm really excited to get it. Um, it, it. You know, he he's he's an incredibly intelligent guy and seems to collect a lot of really interesting people. So um, I actually <laughs> pre-ordered the book and I'm hoping to uh, get a look at it soon. Absolutely. Um, so this is how, let's say, even conversations others have can lead to conversations, which is also the first question I wanted to ask you, Mo. Uh, but before I, I ask you a question, I wanted to uh, to just uh, take a minute to uh, to take a look at, let's say, what could people learn from you, uh, or what 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 would people find if they search for Mo Husseini on LinkedIn? Because it's usually the first place people look for you, right? Is He's the co-founder and chief design officer at Gen City Labs. He designs the UX, he innovates the UX, uh, the CX, and he creates the Web3 future of community engagement. Uh, you're based on an island in the very northwest of the United States, which I'm sure you're going to tell us a little bit more about. Um, our, your, your, your approach to events, uh, I think, is uh, very innovative. You've had a lot of flying hours in various roles uh, in different types of organization um th- that we're very keen to learn more about and, and 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 to get the insights on but before we do that i wanted to ask you that question a good conversation can shift the direction of change forever would you leave it to chance absolutely not and absolutely yes i i, I think that that's a re- it's a very interesting question see i think that there are aspects of um, ensuring that you have a good conversation that you shouldn't leave to chance. And that is um, listening to hear and not listening to prepare to respond, if that makes sense. Um, but there are aspects of a conversation that should be left to change, chance, which uh, for me is kind of that uh, serendipity of discovery, right? Um, 
uh, my experience with you is a, is a great example of that. You, you reached out. Um, we got together on a Zoom call and um, there are certain things I come to the conversation with that are really a curiosity in terms of who you are and wanting to learn more about you and wanting to listen and um, frankly get educated um, based on the things you've experienced and they've lear that you've learned. Um, but there's also things that I do leave to chance, which is to kind of be open to let the conversation go where it organically is going to go. So um, I, I think on some level, what you're talking about is practice. Um, you know, when you first start doing something, uh, you tend to be very, very much by the book. You you follow a list of preconceived notions of like, this is how to have a conversation, ask a person about this, and did you follow up this way and do this and do that. And as you get better at it, um, you learn to stop and let people talk. Um, I'm not very good at this, but, um, you know, they say there's nothing more powerful than sitting in the silence and letting people kind of think about stuff. Um, and so it's difficult for me to say that you should plan it too much. I think you do have to leave some aspect of it to chance. Um, but the fundamentals you shouldn't leave to chance, the being curious, um, listening and responding to what you actually hear, as opposed to diving back to your preconceived notions um, to just repeat what you believed at the beginning of the conversation anyway. And I think that's particularly true when you're talking to you know, clients or partners, right? You're, you're there to help. You're there to, to be additive. And unless you understand what the core is, you can't add to the core. Is, is that a fair response or did I confuse things? Well, you know, everybody has a different response to the same question, which is what makes everyone so interesting. <laughs> and the question is just a mere um, way for people to open their brains, I think, at the beginning of this conversation that we're having, because um, although, you know, uh, collaborative approaches to cracking wicked problems is something that many people do by instinct, right, without, with or without a system. Uh, I know for a fact that you have, you know, both a Jack Morton and a Freeman and different organizations that you've worked at before, you have, you know, your flying hours in the in dealing with events and event owners, you have a broad range of experiences that we've been talking about. And I, I think they're very interesting for our audience, our listeners to listen to. Uh, so whether you're an event designer or an event owner, uh, I think Mo has uh, some deep insights that, uh, and also some some humor, right? Uh, some 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 facts. You know, he also says data is not the plural of anecdotes. Is something I just wrote down here. You might be hearing about you know the three types of companies that um, uh, that we're going to go across. Uh, the Madonna or Lady Gaga curve is something we spoke about before. Uh, you have some very interesting insights, and also you are working into the future. And I think uh, one of our former guests. Sunil Maholtra, uh, uh, who I was talking to uh, two weeks ago, um, keeps talking about this idea. His change over a one-year period was designing from the emergent present to designing into the emergent future, uh, which was his big change from last year to this year. Um, and Mo, what you don't know yet is that at the end of the podcast, I'm going to ask you a question, Ooh. Um, which... Um, 
which you can answer with a yes or no. That's completely up to you. Uh, okay. But it is a question if we may re reach out to you a year from today to see about your horizon of change. And that's my next cool. question. Mo, what is currently on your horizon of change? Not sure. I'm, 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 I guess what I would say is that I, I think that things are really interesting in the event space. I think we're coming out of um, COVID and there is a deep, deep desire, um, a, a fervent wish on, on the part of event organizers that things are just going to go back to normal, damn it. Um, you know, people are just going to come back the same way and we can go back to doing things the way we used to do them. Um, I don't think that's true. Um, but I also don't, I'm not a catastrophist about it, right? Like, I think that events are, are coming back. I think that they are just coming back differently. And I think that a lot of the change is on the attendee side. I think the parameters of um, how they think about an event's ROI for them personally, right? Like what is the return on my spend, uh, be it of time or of money or of engagement that I'm going to get by being at this event. I think that has shifted a lot um, in, in the context of being post COVID and uh, I'm not sure that we fully understand that yet. I don't know that there are enough kind of cases to understand where that is. Um, I think some events that are very strong and have a very strong kind of community aspect to them may not change that much. Mm. I think some events that were perhaps a little less sticky or a little less mission critical for your job or your career or whatever, that ROI has shifted. I think that's cultural, right? We see it in the way um, we see it in the way that people are returning or not returning to their offices, right? There's a mm -hmm. huge uh, recalculation of value around: Do I want to be in the office space? What is the what does that do for me? What how does that change my life? Uh, gosh, I've moved, and now you're asking me to come into the office three times a week or whatever. Um, it's changed in the way we shop. It's changed, you know, so many different aspects of, of our culture. Really what I'm doing right now, um, the work we're doing at GCL, the work that I'm doing personally is focused on trying to get a better understanding of what the shift is, what, um, what are the differing, um, needs that attendees have? What are the differing, uh, ways that we have to learn to reconnect with them what are the different uh values that we have to learn to deliver for them and so really what i'm hoping to do over the next 12 months um and by the way in pre-answer your question of course you can come and check with me in 12 months and <laughs> i'm perfectly comfortable telling you that i've failed or or that i've succeeded but what i'm hoping to do over the next 12 months is is to to get a better understanding of how that shift has manifested itself. And mm -hmm. um, hopefully if I can get to that um, early enough to start looking at how do you activate against those uh, new realities. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I'm certainly not alone in this space. I think a lot of, um, 
a, a lot of the forward thinking and more proactive companies in the event space are doing that. Um, yeah. trying, trying to understand what the new formula is going to look like, but you know, change happens. It, it all, you know, like it, it, it always happens. There's that, um, uh, there's that saying, and I've seen it attributed to Japanese uh, uh, tradition. I've seen it attributed to European traditions, but you know, the idea that you never step into the same river twice, right? Like anytime you step into a river, even if it's in the exact same place, the water has moved around you. Mm -hmm. um, there is a constancy of change in, in every aspect of life. And I think that events are no exception. Um, certainly there was a rejiggering of the event space after 9-11, right? Like, oh my gosh, people are never going to want to travel again and da, 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 like all that that kind of stuff. And, you know, getting together in huge groups and what that means for terrorism and da, 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 you know, you're a soft target yeah. and all this other stuff. Yeah. But hey, we we learned and we adjusted around that. Um, I think we are still in a bit of a um, post-COVID delusion uh, in on 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 the part of some organizers who are like, just build it the same. It's going to be the same. They're going to come back. It's going to, you know, the numbers are going to be the same. The engagement's going to be the same, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think there's a lot of innovation and, and um, stuff that's being done around understanding that. And I hope to be a part of that. So um, my horizon is really about understanding that, understanding what community needs um, are for various event communities and um, figuring out powerful and more sticky ways to activate those people, right? To provide value because ultimately, I talk about this a lot in the context of, of product design, right? Like, and, and um, you know, GCL certainly works on product design, but like, if you think about it, every, event as a product, right? Like every session at an event is a product, every breakout is a product. And yep. in order for a product to be successful, in order for a product to, um, to get sticky, it has to provide value. And in order to provide value, you have to solve a problem. And in order to solve a problem, you have to understand the situation and you have to understand the parameters of that problem. I'm not sure that we're fully clear on the parameters of the problem post-COVID. Um, I'm sure that we can get clear, you know, but I, I think that that takes, um, it takes work. Uh, my mentor and hero and, um, you know, idol, uh, Bruce Mao, um, talks a lot about the binary nature of things from the context of you really have two options for um, anything to happen. Um, you can design it to happen or it can happen by accident. Those are really the two options, right? So, um, it, we can we can decide to throw an event and uh, you know uh, the uh, whatever the negative version of Mo and Root is. It's like the world's worst event. Uh, we're gonna have an event. We don't have a plan. We're just gonna invite some people and we'll see what happens. Right? Um, there's a possibility we might succeed. People might go, oh, that that negative Root, negative Mo event is the best event ever. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I would wager that the possibility of that event succeeding is pretty close to zero, right? Like it, it's going to be a fairly minimal number. Or we can sit down and design an event that has a uh, that, that has a, a path to success. Now, that doesn't mean you'll absolutely get there, but it does mean that your possibility of succeeding is greater, right? Designing an event and really thinking about um, you know, the problems you're solving, the value you're delivering, what your audience needs, how you're going to meet those things. Um, it, it, I see so much of that left to chance, uh, so much of that left to, um, you, you know, uh, the, the Sally, you know, same as last year. <laughs> what are you doing at the event? Last year. Um, I, I, I still remember, you know, one of the most horrifying um, conversations that I've ever had with a client during kind of a, a, a strategic intake, um, where we were talking to them about their problems and what was going on with their event, and um, you know, they said, "Well, you know, we've done we've done this research on our audiences and the people who come to our events, and um, you know, uh, the average age of our attendee goes up one year every year." And, you know, said with a completely straight face and you're like, um, okay, like, you know, do you understand what this means? Like, this means, you know, no new people are coming. And um, I'm sorry to tell you, but at a certain point, like once that average age reaches a certain level, those people aren't coming anymore, right? Like they're, um, you know, going to events is not high on the, um, you know, uh, on the list of things that people who are retired want to do, right? Like, unless they're very specific kinds of events, but certainly not trade shows or professional shows. And so, yeah. you know, this idea that your audience is declining um, is real. I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in addition to all the stuff that's happening as a function of COVID, you have a whole lot of stuff that is happening as a function of generational change. Millennials have a very different um set of expectations and uh um, needs that that come from their desire to attend events and i think the the gen z folks who are starting to bubble into um you know the professional ranks are are going to be even more dramatically different um i don't know that we speak their language yet and i, do, I certainly don't think we're addressing their um their needs or their issues in ways that are going to be sticky long-term. Yeah. So <clears throat> if you look at the work you've done and the work you're doing now, um, if you look at that horizon of change, um, let's say, how do you, how do you involve others in the change you design for, right? Because it's, 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 you said it, it either happens without design or it happens with design that kind of binary nature of that. Um, and you start, you fall into that conversation at one point, if you've fallen into it in the past, you're falling into it today. How do you involve the others in that, in the change you designed for? How do you do that? Um, I think what's really critical is to actually turn your question on its head a little bit, which is to say that I don't want to involve others in the change that I design. Um, I want to help others design the change that they design for themselves. 
And, and I think that that's a really kind of critical framing from my perspective, and at least in terms of the way that I think about my clients um, and, and the people that I partner with. Um, I do, look, uh, uh, I am as egotistical as, as the next guy, right? I, I think I'm brilliant. And, um, you know, the, the only counterweight to that um, is the fact that um, my wife is smarter than me and, and is continually reminding me uh, how I'm not that brilliant. Um, but, <laughs> you know, that that ego part of it certainly comes into it. And yes, I've got these great ideas for your event and boy, I could fix everything. Um, that kind of egotistical approach to design, in my opinion, is almost always bound to fail, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's this uh, there's this wonderful um, notion um, that I discovered a few years back now um, called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And the Dunning-Kruger effect is, you know, this idea that the less you know about something, um, the better you think you are at it. And the more you know about something, uh, the more aware you are of the complexities and uh, pitfalls uh, around that, and, and the less you uh, view kind of your abilities around that. Um, I think it's the height of Dunning-Kruger um, thinking to engage with a client who knows their event inside and out and knows their audiences inside and out and has all the data and has lived and breathed and engaged with them for years, and to come in and say, you're an idiot. Let me show you how to do this, right? Like, I think that that's insane and bound to fail in, in the height of egotism. I, I like to approach those conversations with beginner mind, which is to say, okay, let's have a conversation about your world. Uh, tell me about your world. Tell me about your audience. Tell me about your event. And um really kind of engage with that with a level of curiosity and and um, blankness around preconceptions, right? Uh, I don't I don't want to come in and assume things. I want you to tell me what's going on. And in a lot of ways, as a designer, I hope that my job is um, to shepherd a design into existence, but I don't necessarily view myself as the source of that design, right? The, 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 yeah. design, the design is sourced from the needs of the audience and the needs of the organizer and the needs of the event and the needs of the community and, and bringing all of those things together. Um, you know, you as a designer, if you are open to the inputs of the world, if you're empathetic to the inputs of the world, um, you can design things that are very sticky and very powerful. Um, if you show up and just tell the world how it's going to be without really listening, um, once again, your chances of failure are fairly high. And so, you know, how do I engage people in the, you know, in, in designing solutions for them? It's really engaging them with them to understand the problem and to dig deep into the problem. I find personally um, you know, if you think of the process of designing, you know, be it an event or an, any kind of solution for something, in my opinion, 80% of the work is actually research, right? The, the, the designing is that 20% that's at the end. And if you do your research right, that designing is really easy, right? Yeah. 
um, because you, 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 you're empathizing with the problem and the people who are uh, dealing with the problem. And so for me, design doesn't happen. It can't happen without a conversation. It can't happen without, I'm, I'm hesitant to use the word dialogue even because it's not a dialogue. It's a, it's a multi-logue, right? Like it's, it, it, you know, every event, uh, every project that I've ever been involved in on the marketing side has multiple stakeholders, right? Like, of course, yes, you're dealing with the event director, but the event director's set of KPIs might be fairly transactional, right? And, and that event director's boss, you know, the VP of event strategy or VP of event marketing, their KPIs are going to be slightly more strategic, right? And then the CMO, that CMO has got like a whole different set of KPIs and that, you know, that CMO reports to a CEO and that CEO has a whole other set of like completely strategic, you know, like that CEO doesn't care about the satisfaction scores for the gala party. That CEO cares about what revenue was driven from this event. Did you move people down the funnel? What, you know, what changes there in brand awareness? Those are very non-transactional things. And so... Yeah. You know, when I say that it's a multi-log, it's understanding kind of all the stakeholders that come to bear and understanding that, look, you may not be responsible for delivering against every KPI in that stack of KPIs, but you certainly should not be doing anything that works against one of those KPIs, right? Like you can be negative or neutral against one, but you certainly should not be, you know, counterproductive right. to anyone. Yeah, exactly. So if you look Sorry, at it as like you're that, discovering, because, I'm very long-winded. Uh, I think the exploration of the problem, as we stated <laughs> it, um, it has taken up less than 80% of the time of this podcast, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> and I like how you turn the question on its head because involving others in the change you design for is almost implying that, you know, if you pretend to be able to design for a specific change, uh, it always, by definition, requires the involvement on, on others, yep. that multi-log um, of layers of different things that different stakeholders want out of this thing. Let's zoom out a little bit and, and kind of look at it um, from, a, from a higher altitude when you think about an organization's event over time, right? Um, how do the events you design or have designed in the past become markers of change in the organization or maybe in your organization? Um, um, so let's say if you do multiple events over time, do you see them as markers of change that people can kind of hang on to and, and look back at or look forward to? Or hmm. that's an interesting question. It's an interesting question because um, there's the theory and then there's the reality, right? <clears throat> and I think that the theory would be that you know, you have an event strategy and it's a multi-year event strategy and, and things should be building on each other and you should be creating multiple paths into that event for different kinds and levels of users. And so it becomes a continual dialogue um, that is reflected in a um, single point of time and place, right? Like, hey, we're all going to get together and this is going to propel us into a year-long conversation that culminates in next year's event, and it continues to build and build and build and build. Um, I think in theory, that is fantastic. And I think in theory, that is the ideal. Um, 
But the reality, I think, tends to be a lot more prosaic and a lot less um, strategically coherent sometimes. There are companies um, out there who are very good with their event strategy, who have been um, you know, smart about telling the story in annual cadences, right? And, and to continue the conversation in, in you know during the year and, and set up the conversation and, and really think about their event strategy holistically to use your term to zoom out, right? To zoom out from the year and look at the what's the five year, what's the 10 year, like what's our goal ultimately, all of those things. Um they're they are few and far between. You know, I think that there are too many variables and changes you know it doesn't help for example that the and i don't know if this is still a current um statistic but that you know cmos have a fairly short tenure in the c-suite right I, it used to yeah. be that they were the shortest tenure of anybody in the c-suite um which means you know every time you shift a cmo you're going to have a shift in strategy and you're going to have a shift in goals and you're going to have a shift in aim and a different emphasis on the event and what it wants to say and all this other stuff. And so I think getting into a multi-year kind of conversation or dialogue and driving change in a stepped way across that multi-year conversation becomes a lot more difficult. So what's my experience been? I would say that 10 or 15% of my clients have been people who could maintain a longer term vision that yeah. they could leverage their event strategy to deliver against. But I would say that the vast majority are to some extent doing a rinse and repeat or, you know, doing the event and changing it every year because there's you know, a new new sheriff in town or the market shifted and boy, we've repositioned or whatever it may be. And, you know, so I think that there's a, there's a split, right? There's the clients that you uh, love to find where it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be fantastic and easy. And there's the clients where you have to kind of lean into their reality, right? And, and just to be clear, it, it, it's not that people don't get it. It's just the reality of what they have to do in order to um, kind of address their internal strategic needs or their internal kind of hierarchical or market needs. Yeah. It kind of reminds me when you're talking about, you know, setting your foot into the river and the river keeps changing. It's almost like there's so many currents happening within that full ocean, right? Where even salt water and sweet water get mixed up. Um, and um the dynamic environment that CMOs or the direct counterparts that are the event owners <clears throat> have as a dynamic environment for them to take the decision and, and to to work with you as, as a designer um face that very problem. So given that situation, because that's not going to change anytime soon, right? Uh, <laughs> we know that Agreed. You know, coming, <laughs> coming out of the financial crisis in 2008, 2009. It's, it's only going to get worse, you know, good, actually. Yeah, we had a good 10 years to recalibrate you know, out of that mess. And yep. then we had this whole COVID thing happening to us, which 
you know, now dramatically changes human behavior to degrees where we can't even assess it. You know, most people are still in denial. Um, others are thinking proactively about it, but we see the influx of it definitely in, in, in the events that are taking place. Um, how do you how do you have that conversation with with your event owner? Let's say when you when you get into that conversation today uh, with an event owner, what's what's the approach that you take? To have, I'm sorry, I, I may have missed something. To, to have yeah. what conversation? The conversation about how so building on the previous one, right, where we said. Mm -hmm. Um, you need to involve a multitude of people to design based on their ecosystem, based on what's happening in their, their, their space. You're confronted at a moment in time with, let's say, a CMO. And as you mentioned, 10 to 15% of these CMOs um, are in a solid place where they rule over a multi-year kind of you know, a strategic portfolio of thinking and goals and overarching aims. Uh, which would also imply that, you know, 85 to 90% are not in that situation. Um, uh, yet we do know that events have probably taken place in that same organization before that they need to be aware of or might have created themselves or their predecessor might have created. Now you're confronted with this person who um, wants to talk to you because you're their event designer. You're going to help them figure out what this you know, how they're going to spend that money. Um, how do you typically have that conversation? So, you know, I, I, I quote Bruce Mao a lot. And the reason I quote him is um, he's just been an incredible influence in my life and really opened up my perspective on design and working with clients. Um, one of one of the things that he said to me very early on in our relationship was, you know, he he said, "Mo, I've never in in my entire career, and you know, he he's he has this like amazing career working with just the world's most unbelievable brands and working on really just groundbreaking kind of works." Because, but in my entire career, I've never had a client come to me with a problem because they all come to me with solutions, right? They, they don't come to me and say, hey, uh, this is happening in my business. How do I fix it? They come to me and say, Bruce, we need to rebrand or Bruce, we need to design a blah, 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 or Bruce, we need to do this or that. And he goes, and it's your job as a designer, because the same thing is going to happen to you. Your job as a designer is to say, okay, I'm willing to stipulate that your solution is the correct solution. But let's put the solution aside for a moment. And let me try to understand the problem. Let, let's work backwards. Okay, you say you want to do an event for uh, the, the CXO community to tell them about your amazing you know, technical advancements in server technology, right? This is, this is what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Let's put that aside for a moment. And let's talk about why you want to do that and yeah. what you're trying to do. Because, you know, look, the answer may be a CXO event 
But until we understand the problem and we understand what you are trying to achieve, um, we run the risk of solving for the wrong thing. Okay, great. I'll give you a CXO event. Here you go. Here's a CXO event. And you're going to come to me six months from now and go like, boy, that didn't work. You know, I did not move anybody down the sales funnel. You go, wait, you, you, you didn't tell me you wanted to move anyone down the sales funnel. Like you just told me you wanted to say, oh, well, that's what, it, you know, like, and, and that's his point is like, it's, it's your job as a designer to dig at the root problem, right? To find and, and um, to find and articulate in a way that everybody agrees on what A, the problem is, and B, what the result is, right? Like the way that I've, you know, like every parent at some point, you have to describe what you do to your kid. And, event designer or creative, you know, doesn't mean anything to a child a lot of the time. And and the way that I described it is, you know, um, people come to me and tell me that there is a situation, A, that exists, and they describe to me an end result that they want, and that's B. And my job is to design the most effective way to get you from A to B to take you from a company that has a bunch of prospects that are not very far down the sales funnel to get you to having all those people, you know, much further down the sales funnel. Okay, great. But, you know, the critical part of that is that you cannot design anything that gets you to B until you understand where A is. Right. So, so so to be more like goofy and literal, um, mm-hmm. if, if I, you know, if I get a phone call from you Ruth, and you say, Hey, Mo, I want to come visit you on Bainbridge Island, send me an itinerary. Mm-hmm. My next question needs to be, okay, great. Where are you? Yeah. Right. Because if you're in Tokyo, that is a completely different trip than if you're in Montreal or if you're in, you know, Paris, or if you're in Cape Town, right? Those are completely different trips that may involve completely different methods of getting you to to where I am. I think the exact same thing is true. And so every time that I've been in a conversation with clients who are asking me to design something with them, once again, to go back to this idea of research, the work is in understanding the problem and in clearly defining the outcome, right? To have, what are the measurable goals that we are working towards? Um, You know, one of the questions I always use with my clients is, what gets you promoted? Right? And they go, no, no, you know, the, 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 the common response is, no, 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 Mo, this isn't about me getting promoted. And I go, look, dude, I, I get it. I'm I'm not asking, actually asking what gets you promoted. What I'm asking is, what does your boss care about? And everybody's got a boss. Even the CEO has a boss, right? Like the CEO's got the board of directors or the shareholders or the market in general. Like everybody has a boss. Everybody 
is looking for success. And sometimes, you know, when people cannot articulate their KPIs to you, getting them to articulate their boss's KPIs, you know, what does the market care about? What does your VP of event marketing care about? What does your CMO care about? Starts to define how you have to build the solution and the kinds of results that you have to drive. Because those things, where you start and where you want to end will define the journey. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'll give you a great example. I, I had a client one time and this was a very small job at Jack Morton and they came in and, we, you know, we met with them and it was the strategic and creative team. And they had this um, they had a goal and they came to us and they said, we want to do this uh, activation at um, Outside Lands and Outside Lands is a big uh, concert in, in the Bay Area. It happens every year. Lots of bands, multiple stages and. Um, you know, lots of uh, brands do activations at, at the at, at the festival. We want to do this activation at the festival, and we want to do this booth, and we're going to give away prizes, and we're going to do T-shirts, and we're going to do like all this stuff. And it was like fantastic. We want you to help us design the booth, and you know, build the booth, and and help staff it, and all this stuff. And and we came back to them and said, fantastic. We can do all of that stuff that you just asked for. You know, what's your budget? And well, our budget is $150,000. Fantastic. What's your KPI? And the KPI was, the KPI was, um, uh, they needed to get 10,000 downloads of their app. And they had, you know, built a, a, a geo fence around the event and they were, you know, any downloads that happened inside that geo fence, they were going to tie to the activation and they got 10,000 downloads in that geo fenced area. That was a win. Yeah. Okay. So we came back and our solution was actually, hey, don't build anything. What if you just hired some very attractive men and very attractive women and had them walk around and give away gift cards. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, uh, I'll give you a $5 gift card if you download this app. Like, does that hit your KPI? And the answer was, yes, absolutely. That hits certainly. I don't care. We don't have to build the booth. Like, and that's what we did. And, and we ended up delivering, you know, 15,000 downloads, right? Like 50% better than their, um, than their target KPI, but mm. we didn't build anything. Like it was a very simple solution that stepped away from presupposing the answer, which they had come to us once again with a solution, not with the problem. And that happens over and over again. And, and that's the kind of thing that I think, um, you know, it's nerve wracking. I, I, I'll say that as, you know, as a, as a designer, as someone who wants to be client focused, it's, it's nerve wracking to tell the client that you're not accepting that they are right. You're, you're not saying they're wrong, right? <laughs> I'm not saying your solution is, I'm not saying your solution is wrong. I just, I'm not accepting that this is the correct solution until we truly explore the problem. And, yeah. you know, let's be honest, there's a lot of clients who find that tedious, right? Yeah. They, they don't, they don't want to, it's like, shut up and shut up and build my booth, asshole, right? Like that's, yeah. like, you're wasting my <laughs> you're time. You're opening up right? the can of worms yeah. that they want to have remain closed, right? Very yeah. often. Uh, and, but and also for those maybe clients, the 10,000 the 10, the 10, downloads, if you dig deeper, to be honest, right, Moe's, uh, yeah. probably the 10,000 downloads was, was, was also just, the one thing that would get 
that person promoted, right? Or 100%. that would be the, one of their one of their key performance indicators for for them on a personal level. Yep. Which might, towards the overarching aim, only be a fraction of what could be achieved. Um, yep. If you would look at the problem differently, and I think it's interesting that that, that you say that because it's a perfect example. Um, because you, you're you're asking them to express their vision of where they want to be, but also you're asking them about their point of origin, uh, which will show the delta between where they currently are as to where they want to be, right? So I think yeah. that's critical. And what, with your example that you just had, you're answering the next question, which is how do you enable them to connect provision to the event story, right? Which in that practical example, you do both. Um, and I think very often, if you can't make it as simple as you just expressed it, you haven't explored the problem deeply enough, right? It's almost the simplicity of the prototypes that you're considering needs to be so logical in the mind of whoever it is that's not accepting that the client is right, right? Which is what you keep doing over and over again. And the client loves to be right because they're paying you to give the answer. They already give you the answer and then they just want you to kind of uh, repeat the answer to them in in the way that they had imagined it to be. But like, here's the thing: that's a bad client. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I so, mean. So like, have like, you ever fired a client? Um, personally, I have. Yeah, and and I've yeah. worked at uh, you know, I've I've worked. I'm trying to think. I can think of examples at, at Freeman where we fired the client. I can think of examples at Jack Morton where we fired the client. And I think can think of examples at Kaleidoscope where we fired the client. Look, at a, yeah. at a certain point, it's a relationship, right? And yeah. and especially, yeah. especially if you are um, selling something intangible that is based on expertise, right? Yeah. Um, if you're selling something transactional, right? like, like if you're coming to me to rent a box, and I'm going to yep. rent you the box. I don't care what you do with the box, man. Like stand on the box, sit on the box, put the box in the corner. I don't care. Give me the five bucks it costs to rent the box and, you know, let's move on. Right. Yeah. Um, if you're coming to me for my expertise, you know, at a certain point, like, let me do my job. Right. Yeah. Uh, this was a lesson. You look, my background is film, right? Like I, I come from film is kind of where I spent the formative years of my career. And I came to film with um, very little experience in film, right? Like I studied political economics at Berkeley, which does mm -hmm. not in any way, shape or form prepare you for film. Um, I got a job while I was at Berkeley doing uh, French and Arabic translations into English for a documentary, which mm -hmm. I found fascinating. And I asked them to pay me. They couldn't pay me. So I said, teach me something. So they taught me how to be an editor and I became an editor and I ended up, you know, through a lot of luck and thanks to some, you know, really critical people in my life, ended up with a job at uh, Industrial Light and Magic working for George Lucas and got to learn a lot about film. But I ended up directing commercials, right? Which I was incredibly happy, like, you like I'm so successful. Um, but, but here's the thing about being a film director. I'm not a cameraman. I don't know how to light. Um, I don't write, you know, like I, I'm not writing the script. Uh, I'm not the costumer. 
Um, I'm, there are all these incredibly, um, incredibly important jobs that have incredible levels of expertise and skill built into them yeah. who are working with me to deliver the film. Now I can come to that engagement and be like, Hey, asshole cameraman who knows, you know, who has forgotten more about filmmaking than I even know, um, <laughs> do it this way. I can come that way at it. Or I can say, listen, amazing cameraman who's, you know, whose expertise I, you know, am in awe of. This is what I'm trying to do. How should I do it? Right. And they'll tell you, oh, we should use this kind of lens and put the camera here. And this is how we should move it. And I can agree with that or disagree with that. But I, it, it's incumbent on me, on someone who is asking someone for their expertise to, yeah. to bow to that expertise on some level and say like, okay, you know, this stuff, like I trust you. Um, the same way that, you know, when I go to the doctor, I don't tell him what's wrong with me, I, you know, mm. you know, unless I've been up all night Googling things like a hypochondriac, <laughs> right? But um, um, I literally got told by a doctor one time, uh, he goes, look, I, I went to med medical school for 12 years. Please stop Googling stuff. Like, um, but, but, but my point is, is like, he's going to give me, uh, you know, he's going to be able to place uh, uh, my problems in context. And yeah. that fundamentally, like, that's what clients should be doing, right? If you want the best work out of your agency, tell them what your problem is, tell them yeah. what you're trying to do, and work with them to do that, right? Like, that is how you know, um, I always say that my goal on any project is to achieve something such that at the end of that project, every person involved in the project looks back on the project and goes, fuck, I could not have done that on my own. Right. And, 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 and if you're able to do that, you've succeeded because you have now created something that is literally greater than the sum of its parts. Right. You've taken the best of stage design and the best of narrative design and the best of audience acquisition and the best of marketing and the best of like room layouts and, and venue searches and like all of these things. You brought that all together and you've created something unbelievably amazing. Right. Um, instead of like, OK, I'm going to tell you exactly how this is going to be. And every aspect of this event is going to be driven, by, is going to be limited by my abilities as opposed to only limited by the greater abilities of the team. And that team includes the stakeholders. The, you know, I am never going to understand a client's audience better than they understand that audience. No matter how yeah. much data I have, no matter how much deep dive I do, um, the goal ultimately is, is to partner and, and to be involved, you know, to go back to your initial question, to be involved in a conversation because I view design as a conversation. It is a, iterative conversation that builds on itself from the beginning of exploration to the end of articulation, right? And, and execution, right? Beyond that. Um, and frankly, it doesn't stop there, right? Like that's where events can have immense power, which is, look, you, you start with exploration, you, you, you end up doing design, you end up executing, and then you should come back and explore again and go, what could have been better? What could have been worse? Um, if what if we had tried this, like, did we think about this? And oh, boy, that didn't work or that really worked. And we didn't expect it to work that well. Right. Like, so your next event should 
always be somewhat better than than your previous event if you're doing it right. Yeah. Iterating Absolutely. towards I love that. beautiful. I'm and I think once once you explore and you you're able to articulate and you're able to deliver, then you can also see the behavior that it changes, right? So this this um, this ability to then articulate its value, the value it's created, more than some of the parts that they potentially bought at first. Right? I think that's that's where the magic of any good collaboration, if you harness it properly, uh, can can bring you, right? And uh, I think, uh, um, yeah. Unknowingly, what we've covered, uh, Mo, is all of the questions in chapter one of the Design to Change book, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is only one out of seven conversations we could have around this topic. Um, I, I really value them and cherish them. Uh, in the meantime, um, um, what 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 the listeners might not realize is that you are also venturing very deep into uh, the future of what's happening in the universe of the next online activations, the next things in communities. Now, if you enjoyed this conversation, um, and I already asked Mo, by the way, if I could remind him of his horizon of change next year and talk about that again. So we're going to do that a year from today. I'm going to send you that invite, Mo. I'm also going to send you the invite to uh, seven questions, um, um, which are part uh, of a worksheet that we encourage our listeners to kind of work from. And I'm going to force Mo, without him knowing this, to answer each of these questions very succinctly, almost into what he said in this podcast, so that people can also read through the different types of answers that we get from these questions. And as you answer them, you can also explore what others have answered to these same questions. And this is a way of kind of getting a broad view on how you might deal with these conversations with event owners, uh, how you enable them to express their vision, how to connect the vision to the event story, how to articulate the value that it creates, and also those beginning questions we had about how do you involve others in the change you design for, and how do the events you design become markers of change in the organizations you're working with. These are some of the things that are always top of mind for anyone that's an event owner or an event designer. And I think you're... Um, this one hour exploration of this topic is fantastic. I think those that are geeky about it will be eagerly listening. Um, we also have some people that might want the synopsis, right? And in writing, we will get that synopsis um, uh, from, from Mo, hopefully. Uh, we'll add that to the, the speaker notes that are gonna be at the bottom of this uh, audio track uh, that people will be able to listen to on Design to Change. Also encourage people to check out the new book that we mentioned in the beginning. Um, Harnessing Serendipity is coming out. I think uh, that on Monday, uh, I think David Adler is presenting it in New York. Uh, it's um, about collaboration artists, conveners and connectors on Harnessing Serendipity. And it's a collection of uh, 65 different ways of looking at collaboration uh, around events, but so much more than just events, I think. Um, so I encourage you to check that out as well. Uh, Mo, are you happy to join me backstage and have a little debrief conversation on our conversation? Absolutely. Stage? All right. Uh, awesome. Backstage I mean, is where the drinks are, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's time to run out and get your drinks and 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 meet us backstage. Uh, we'll see you there in just a moment. Thanks for this conversation, Mo. Thank you. 
This has been another episode of the Design to Change Designer Conversation Series. Explore these conversations and additional content at designtochange.online. Want more right now? Tune into the backstage episode of this conversation and hear what the experts discuss offstage.